Have you ever come across a picture you just can't get out of your head? A picture that, after some time, becomes an obsession. Maybe you even start to think to yourself, where did that photo come from? So you start looking for answers. On this show, we take you on that journey. From the photo that stuck with us to the story behind it, we'll learn about Shirley Chisholm's treasurer, the son of a moonshiner, and a Nigerian man on the day he took his last breath. And I tracked down a boy from a photo album and found more than I expected. This is Reframed. I'm Heather Schroering. A quick note before we get started. I want to tell you about the book that inspired this podcast. It's called Not Who I Pictured, where you can read the stories you won't hear on the show. Go to Amazon.com to purchase Not Who I Pictured. Here's the show. On the day Shirley Chisholm died, there was another person in the background, the person who was responsible for informing the world of her death. She was the first black woman elected to Congress, and the man tasked with the job was her treasurer. His name was William Howard, and his relationship with the politician was more than just a professional one. It was deeply personal. On today's episode of Reframed, Sage Howard tells us the story of her grandfather, his relationship with Shirley, and the effect it had on the other leading woman in his world, his wife. As a little girl, I knew Shirley as the woman from a black and white family photo. This picture sat on the mantle at my grandparents' house. In it, my grandmother is to the right of my grandfather, smiling like a model in a floral dress. Shirley, on the other hand, stands to the left of my grandfather in a dress that covers just about every inch of skin. Growing up, I heard a lot about Shirley Chisholm in my grandparents' home. She was something so normal, I didn't even think of her as Shirley Chisholm, the first black woman elected to Congress. I do not intend to offer to you the tired and glib cliches which for too long have been a separate part of our political life. I am the candidate of the people of America. That's her on the day she announced she would run as Democratic candidate for president in 1972 in the auditorium of a school in Bed-Stuy. Throughout her career, Shirley led people's campaigns that were unbought and unbossed. She wasn't a woman who took orders. She was more comfortable with doling them out. In many ways, Shirley was a source of inspiration. But when I asked my grandmother, the only woman who I know, knew Shirley personally, she doesn't really have much to say, and her answers are short. So here's a woman who's almost like another member of my family, and everyone thinks she's amazing, but something about her continues to bother my grandmother. Why does my grandmother answer with such disinterest about a woman, a woman who has had such an impact on America, politics, and my family? Before that campaign day in Bed-Stuy, when Shirley Chisholm was just a young, ambitious politician, she walked into a bank in Brooklyn where my grandfather was the bank secretary. She came specifically to congratulate him. He was 23 and the first black secretary at Metropolitan Savings Bank. She asked him if he had any political plans, and at first he said no. But soon he changed his mind. The day she indicated to me that she wanted to run for the United States Congress, I woke up 
uh, on that day I woke up. By woke up, my grandfather means he finally started to see the impact Shirley could have in his life. My grandfather had always been good with numbers, and as a teenager, he left the South because it was a tough place for an ambitious, young, black man to be. So becoming her treasurer was a big deal for him. In that moment, he decided to join her as her campaign treasurer. And then with the help from other staffers, they brought their new energy to the rest of the country. Once we won, um, we needed people that would be with her all of the time, travel with her, whatever needed to be done, because we woke up the country. This was the beginning of an adventurous political career my grandfather did not see coming. He had a first-class seat on Shirley's Chisholm Trail during her 15-year-long stint as an American politician. Soon enough, their business relationship turned into a friendship, and his fondest memories of campaigning with Shirley weren't necessarily about the work. Well, a lot of times when we traveled, we had to go to four or five different events and many of those political events, you had to get out on the dance floor. So uh, I was always out on the dance floor with uh, Shirley Chisholm. Shirley Chisholm and my grandfather on the dance floor? That was weird. When my grandfather told me this, I couldn't help but wonder, how did my grandmother feel about all of this? How did his wife feel about him on the dance floor with another woman? In order to answer this question, I need to first tell you how my grandparents met. My grandmother was a high school teenager who had just moved to Crown Heights from Panama when she met my grandfather. When she arrived, she didn't know many people, and she was really shy. My grandfather introduced himself to her at a birthday party where the only person she knew was her aunt. She remembers feeling like a bit of a wallflower. Oh, wanted to get away. <laughs> I don't want nothing to do with him. The following day, he came up to visit me. I didn't invite him, and here he coming up on Rogers Avenue. And I said, "Don't my aunt tell him that I'm not here?" And she said, "Oh no, I can't do that because he came to see you." At first, my grandmother had no interest in dating my grandfather, but little did she know, this was the beginning of their love affair. We started dating, we started going places, parties and boat rides and stuff, so I always was with him. He found my grandmother an apartment in Crown Heights, and when the time was right, he asked her to marry him. Once they were married, the only thing she expected was that they both made time for their kids. That all went out the window once he started working for Shirley. His life became Shirley. Sometimes I felt like I was outsider because uh, Bill, like I said, when we go to any affairs or anything that she's in there, he pays all the attention to her. And i like, hello, I thought I was the wife here. But um, after a while, I got used to it because he run around and do everything for her. Even if my grandmother says she got used to it, I'm not really sure she did. But like many of us, she brushes off inconsistencies in her relationship with my grandfather because there were bigger things demanding her attention, like her children. My dad, he remembers meeting Shirley when he was nine. She made him carry around her pocketbook. And even at a young age, he remembers the toll my grandfather's work took on their home life. 
You didn't spend an, a, a, a lot of time with us, hardly ever. I, I mean, all the vacations I went on with my mother, all the... I can't remember if I went to a movie with my father, ever, in a movie theater. But early on in life, I didn't see that dude. I didn't see him. It was sad to hear my dad say this. I was sure that my grandmother had never planned for her children to feel this way about their parents. And so I asked her what she had expected to come out of her relationship with my grandfather. But I wasn't expecting anything I guess nothing exceptional. I figure that everything works itself out and it will come in time that it will be better. I can never really know what my grandmother was thinking at that time. But when I begin to put myself in her shoes, I imagine the situation was tough to deal with. She was working and providing support to her kids and my grandfather, all while she was feeling overshadowed by another woman, a woman who just so happened to be running for Congress and later campaigning for president. The day these two women finally met was at a campaign fundraiser hosted in my grandmother's home. Shirley stood out in part because she'd say whatever came to her mind, which was usually an order and a Bayesian accent. My grandmother was finally meeting the woman who occupied all of my grandfather's time, and this woman was ordering people around her home. She was West Indian. She's so West Indian. She sounded tough, and she she looked like she was a boss. <laughs> she liked telling people what to do or what not to do. Here I should explain, my grandmother is taking shots at Shirley's accent, while ironically her own Panamanian accent is coming through. But this cattiness is just because she feels kind of bad about Shirley. Sure, she has no problem acknowledging Shirley's impact as a historical figure, but for her at 24 and raising a family, Shirley was just another person. Some people get all excited to see meeting people in politics and they run to her and wanted to shake her hand. It was like nothing to me. At first, I couldn't wrap my mind around this, how my grandmother seemed so unfazed by someone I considered a force. But the more I thought about it, the more it sunk in. My grandmother was a force of her own. She carried and raised three children in a foreign country. All while, the person who promised to be by her side was supporting someone else's goals. I realized that my millennial brain had been wired to reject my grandmother's brand of strength and sacrifice. 13 years after Shirley's death, my grandfather continues to devote himself to her legacy. His loyalty to his friend and my grandmother's loyalty to her husband are forces that keep Shirley's name alive, at least in my family. Hey guys, it's Heather. Pragya Krishna is here to tell us about her story and Not How I Pictured, the book that inspired this podcast. So, Pragya, tell me about your parents. They were incredibly stupid. That's not something you would normally hear people admit. <laughs> no, it's not. They had an arranged marriage, but it was a very weird one. And you talk about your feelings about the relationship in the book? Yes, I do. 
Um, and those feelings are that I realize these are two people who love each other but do not understand each other at all. Read Pragya's story and 15 others and not who I pictured. Head to Amazon.com to get your copy. Thanks for listening to Reframed. If you like what you heard, you can hear more stories in the print version, Not Who I Pictured, the book that inspired this podcast. Head to Amazon.com to purchase your copy of Not Who I Pictured today. Reframed is inspired by the book, Not Who I Pictured, a collection of short stories that begin with a family photograph and explore the memories behind them. Our executive producers are Kelsey Blazier and Lena Sunsgiri. We are produced by Sage Howard, Will McAllister, Ashley Aguosa, and me, Heather Schroering. Our editor is Isabella Kolkarni. Special thanks to James Robinson, Isabella Kolkarni, and Michael Shapiro for their patience, guidance, and humor. If you like what you heard, go to Amazon.com to purchase Not Who I Pictured. Thanks for listening.